Thank you for listening to Franklin City Church's Sermon Podcast. For more information on Franklin City Church, please check us out at www.franklincitychurch.com. These words from Matthew 6, starting in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Good morning, and uh, thank you for braving the elements to come out and to be here today. The snow is a bit dicey, but uh, it's beautiful. Reminds us of how God washes us white as snow. All right. Well, this is the last day of 2017. If you haven't checked your calendars and didn't quite keep track of things the last few days, this is December 31st. So we are moving on to 2018 tomorrow. And any time that I get to the end of a year and think about next year, I don't know if it's the teacher in me, the pastor in me, or just who God made me in me, but I always like to look back on on the previous year and think, okay, what went well, what didn't go well, how did God bless me, my family, our church, friends, what do I need to praise him for, thank him for, where are some areas in my life, Lord, that I need to continue to grow? And when I think about that, Uh, Of course, that can be disturbing at times because we all need to keep growing, and sometimes we just put off from year to year really taking a stand in a certain area and letting God be God. But I think of the words from uh, the prophet Haggai. Haggai is just a small book, a third book from the end of the Old Testament, and Haggai was one of those prophets that God sent to the nation of Israel after they returned from the exile in Babylon and they went to Judea and Jerusalem, and they had begun to rebuild the temple, but after a while, they just stopped rebuilding and did nothing for 16 years, and so God sent Haggai, and Haggai then said to the people, uh, I'll just read a little bit of Haggai for you, is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? In other words, you seem to have the time, the resources to make your own house more beautiful and comfortable, but what about my dwelling place? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Three simple words, but those words always hit me at this time of the year. Consider your ways. And here's what he says. You've sown much and harvested little. You eat but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. 
And then he says, once again, consider your ways. And whenever I start thinking about my ways, I start thinking about the area of prayer. Because over the years, God has helped me to be disciplined enough, and I love to do this enough, to open his word and to study his word and to teach it and to share it and, uh, you know, as the Holy Spirit helps me to, to live it. But one of the areas, not just as a pastor, but just as a man of God, that I sorely lack in is the area of prayer. Because you read about great people of prayer, and you see in the Bible that God uses prayer to move nations, to move mountains, and especially to change us. So as I think about those words, consider your ways, I think about prayer and the lack of prayer in my life. And most of us have times that we might pray around the dinner table or we might even pray as we're going to bed or we might pray in a small group or we might have devotions at breakfast or something. There are moments in our week that we pray, but lots of times it seems like those are just small chunks of the bigger whole that goes on. Most of us don't have lives where you know, a lot of what we do is that praying without ceasing. So anyway, I also think of a verse in Mark 131. It's talking about Jesus, and it says, Rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Here was Jesus, whose days were full. Many times, up to all hours of the night in certain villages, people being brought to him to be healed and have demons cast out and disease and sickness. And so he goes to bed, but after a little while, while everybody else is still sleeping, Jesus gets up and he goes to a desolate, desolate place. It's still dark, and he begins to, to pray. And I'm thinking, if the Son of God, who's God himself, thought it necessary to get up and to pray, then surely I need to get up and to pray and to ask God to direct my day. Sharon does this better than I do, but I've sometimes said to folks, what we ought to do first thing in the morning, instead of turning our body and putting our feet down on the ground, is we just, just slide off our bed and put our knees on the ground and begin to pray right then and there. And that would put your mind into the focus, okay, what is my day to be about? My day is to be about the Lord's business. How do I know the Lord's business? I pray, I ask him to lead me and guide me, show me in his word, direct the day, show me those opportunities that he is going to give me. Charles Spurgeon, who was a great preacher in the 1800s, said this, I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. I would rather teach one man to pray than 10 men to preach. And then also Dwight L. Moody, who was a great evangelist in that same century, he said, I'd rather be able to pray than to be a great preacher. Jesus Christ never taught his disciples how to preach, but only how to pray. And it's true. Jesus delivered a lot of discourses that were wonderful, but the disciples never came up and said, hey, Lord, could you teach us how to preach like that? But when they saw Jesus praying, they came up and said, Lord, Teach us how to pray. And so in the next three weeks, we're gonna look at what's called the Lord's Prayer, or probably better, the Disciples' Prayer, and we're gonna talk about a model prayer, not the one that you definitely have to just pray this prayer, but a model prayer of how we can pray to the Father.
It was important to Jesus, it was important to his disciples, and it's important to us. And so I'm glad we're setting aside 21 days of prayer starting today, and we've decided, besides just teaching and preaching about prayer, that perhaps we should pray as well. That made sense to us. Somehow it just came to us. Wow, if you're gonna teach and, and preach on prayer, maybe somebody should be praying. So we're gonna have a few guys come up during my message and, and pray off and on, and then we're gonna have some time of silent prayer at the end of the message as well. So you can be thinking about that and just asking the Lord to uh, give you wisdom. So if you will, open your Bibles uh, to that passage that we just read, or your tablets or your phones. At least open your heart and your mind to Matthew 6, verses 9 to 13. And as you're getting there, let me just remind you that this teaching of the Lord's Prayer that we're looking at and just taking a little chunk each of the next three weeks is part of a greater teaching called the Sermon on the Mount. And you might remember in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus told us what should be the attitudes or the char- what should characterize a person living in the kingdom. So he said these words, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you. So Jesus just kind of keeps raising the bar and finally says, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Is there anybody in here perfect this morning? How about even from just when you got up this morning till now? Anybody? uh, No. So in and of ourselves, none of us can be perfect. So the only way we can be perfect is through someone else who's perfect, who who gives us his righteousness and his perfection and that's Christ, and of course, that's what he was trying to get them to see. You can't get there by yourselves. You can't get there just by following the law. You have to come to one who fulfilled the law, and that was Christ. But then we get into chapter six, and he begins to talk about giving, praying, and fasting. And he basically says, don't let your motivation for doing any of those spiritual disciplines, those things that are healthy for you, it's very healthy for us to give and to pray, and to fast, deprive ourselves of things to give a focus to God in our life. But don't do it for the purpose of being seen by other people or having the applause of men because he says, if you do it for that reason, then you already have your reward. But if you do it to please your heavenly Father and to draw closer to him and to be a sharpened tool for his purposes, then you'll give blessings beyond all that you can imagine. And then he says, when you're praying, you know, don't just say a bunch of empty words thinking if you just say enough things, you're gonna be heard. He says, no, that's what the Gentiles do. The Father already knows your needs. So then he finally gets to verse nine, which is what we're gonna look at today. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's what we're gonna talk about today but I think it's a good time to also pray, so pray with me. Father, we know that apart from you, we can do nothing. 
Without the life of Christ, we are spiritually dead. We are corpses, unable to know you, to love you, to follow you, or to serve you. We know, Lord, that it's only through your grace that we have a relationship with the Father through Christ. And you are to be glorified. You are to be hallowed. You are to be declared holy and righteous and good and loving and kind and faithful. Thank you for all that you have accomplished, all that you are accomplishing, and all that you would like to accomplish in and through us in the year to come. Lord, we want to begin with our heads bowed, our hearts surrendered, and to ask you, Lord, to do what only you can do in our lives and to use us in ways that your, your good purposes have planned. Father, help us to put ourselves aside, to deny ourselves, to take up your cross, and to follow you each and every day. And Lord, I pray for this body of believers that you will make us one with you, one with one another, that there will be a, a sense of unity and purpose and love that will overflow into our communities, our workplaces, our classrooms, our acquaintances, this whole area, Lord. I pray for all the churches that we're connected with and those that we're not, that, that preach your word, that, that declare Christ and him crucified. Lord, I, I pray that you will empower us as the body of Christ in this area of the world. I pray, Lord, that there'll be great revival and let it begin with each of us. Lord, teach us how to pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I want to I wanna make um, three points here this morning in terms of how we should pray. And the first one is that we should pray intimately. Notice this prayer begins with our Father. Our Father. The first thing we should notice in this model prayer is that Jesus is speaking to people who know the Father. You can't say our Father unless he truly is your Father. These are people who have been born from above, born again, born by the Spirit of God. In other words, he's talking to people that have a personal relationship with the Father. And so we always have to ask ourselves, do I have a relationship with the Father? Is the Lord God my Father? Is the Lord God your Father? Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. He says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I love that. You can look at the life of Jesus and see what God looks like in human form. Walk and walked among us. What a beautiful picture to know that the living God, the God of the universe, would humble himself and come as a man so that we could see what true glory looks like, what heaven looks like. So you can pray that if God is your Father. And the way you come to the Father is through Christ. He's the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Jesus also said, but to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. So how do I come to the point where I can pray intimately and call God my father? Well, I come to the son who was sent by the father to offer a relationship through his shed blood, through his sacrifice. I believe in him, I receive him, I open my life to him. And when the Spirit of God comes in, then I can have a relationship with the Father. So if you have Jesus, you have the Father. If you have the Father, then you're a child of God. And if you're a child of God, then you can call God your Father. That's how it works. Let me, um, let me go to a couple of verses here. If you wanna turn, you can. I think we may have them up on the screen. But I wanna look at Romans chapter eight talks about this whole area of sonship and adoption and father. Romans 8, verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, to sin, all those things, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, which is an Aramaic term that means my father, my daddy. And then Galatians chapter four, verses four to six is very similar. Galatians 4, four says, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. We just celebrated the incarnation, the birth of Christ. In that fullness of time, God came, born of a woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And then verse six says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So God gives us a witness of the Holy Spirit coming into our lives and declaring us to be his son and we can call him Father. R.C. Sproul, who Grant mentioned, I think, just last week, just passed away not too long ago, but a great scholar and theologian, um, said, prayer does change things, all kinds of things, but the most important thing that it changes is us. As we engage in this communion with God more deeply and come to know the one with whom we are speaking more intimately, that growing knowledge of God reveals to us all the more brilliantly who we are. We are sons and daughters and can call God our Father. Sometimes I think if you've known the Lord for a while, you tend to take things like that for granted, <laughs> that you can bow or come into the Father's presence and have that intimate type of prayer and relationship with him. But just remember the grace of God and how that grace came to us through Christ in order to be able to make us righteous and to have a right relationship with God so that we can call him Father. We can be intimate with him. And uh, I'm gonna ask Don to come up. Don, if you will, come up. And Don's gonna just pray for our relationship with the Father. And uh, Grant's got the mic there for you. And just for our intimacy in prayer. So Don, feel free.
is so gracious to us that you have provided a way for us to come to you in your magnificent glory that you are in, that we can call you Father, that we are aware of our sinful nature and our sinful ways, and that yet you love us so much that you sent your son to die for us, who you love so much, and put before us the perfect example of how we should conduct ourselves and how we should have a relationship with you. Help us, Lord, when we allow ourselves to be so busy with our lives that we may forget you at times and we only come to you when we really need something and yet we forget that you need a fellowship with us and we need it more than anyone. We thank you for loving us. We thank you for having your word for us to steer us and guide us. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that you gave us when we accepted you into our life. Help us, Lord, to spend more time with you and to receive from you what you want us to know and what you want us to be. Thank you for giving us your character to become like. Thank you for loving us in the state that we are in, no matter what state we are in, that you are there waiting for us to come to you like a loving father. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for what he has done for us. Help us now, Lord, to go forward in our own lives wherever we are. And remember when others need help that we will pray for them also and that we will show each other how to come to you so that we can have a deeper walk with you, Lord. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, brother. Yeah, it is amazing that the God of the universe desires to have a relationship with us. Remember, he's already in community with Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, but he desires to include us in his relationships. Well, besides God being our heavenly Father, if we know him through Christ, uh, he is also very transcendent. So even though we can be intimate with him, we have to remember that he is unequaled, unsurpassed, preeminent, so far above us that he is infinite and we're finite. And so there's a great distance in a certain way. There's, there's an awe and a wonder that comes. He is transcendent. So when we praise transcendently, our Father in heaven. So besides realizing we have this close relationship and he's in our presence and within us at any point in time, he's also in heaven. So in a certain sense, he transcends that relationship. So the second thing we should notice in this model prayer is that God is in heaven. He lives in a dimension outside of time and space. He's outside of and above his creation and we should be aware of this when we approach him in prayer. And I wanna to turn to the book of Isaiah because I think this is a great passage. It just shows us how transcendent God is. It's Isaiah chapter six. You're probably familiar with this passage. I'm gonna read verses one through five. Isaiah six, verse one. 
In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. So Isaiah, the prophet, is given this vision of the Lord. He's high, he's lifted up. What does it mean, the train of his robe filled the temple? Well, in that day, and probably still, when someone has a cape and like a train, the length of the train tends to indicate just how important, how great, or how magnificent this person might be. The Lord's train just keeps flowing and going on and on and on and on and on. That's how great he is. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim, a special sect of angels that guarded the throne of God. And each had six wings. With two he covered his face, and with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And it just keeps going. Perhaps, you know, one group and then another group. And you just hear this magnificent chorus of this truth that God is holy. He is holy. And the whole earth is full of his glory. And even beyond this earth, this planet. I mean, when you think about the immensity of the universe, it's, it's hard to comprehend the transcendency of God. When you think you have a handle on it, you're just kidding yourself. We don't have a handle on how transcendent and how great and majestic and holy God is. And that's why the seraphim just keep crying out, holy, 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 the whole earth is full of your glory. And the foundations of the thresholds shook. I've often wanted to be in a building where something shook. You know, just kind of like when they were praying for Peter and, and things shook. I mean, I, it, it might be scary. I might, you know, be the first one out the door, but I, I'd like to be in the building sometime when the thresholds shake at the voice of him who called and the house was filled with smoke well, we did that the other day, didn't we, sweetie? We started to fire and it was too warm and we did, we did fill the house with smoke, but there was no shaking going on. And then he, he said, woe is me. It's like, uh-oh. Woe is me for I'm lost. Some translations say I'm ruined. A modern paraphrase might say I'm toast. I'm history. Uh-huh. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So even though through Christ God can be our Father, and we can have an intimate, close, personal relationship with Him and approach Him that way in prayer, we also have to remember that God is transcendent, and there ought to be an aspect of fear and trembling that takes place because he is holy and we are not. But if you read the next two verses, you begin to see how God brings his loving, intimate compassion together along with his awesomeness and fearsomeness. Look at verse six. Then one of the seraphim flew to me having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. 
And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. There's God and here we are. He's transcendent and yet he's loving and wants to have this relationship so he bridges it through Christ and the cross so that our sins can be covered. They can be atoned for. They can be wiped out and washed away so that we can be white as the snow out there and have that intimate, close relationship with the Father. Uh, I love Psalm 103 because I think it brings these two points I'm trying to make kind of together so that you see God's awesomeness and yet his love and compassion. Psalm 103, verse 11 says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, transcendence, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And then as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. Do you see how the word brings those thoughts together? That yes, when we approach God, we have to understand all that he is. And we have to have a reverence or fear, but yet because he's a loving, compassionate father who has provided a way for us to relate to him and to know him and to be personal and intimate and close with him, all of that is true. And it all comes, all comes together in a relationship through Christ. Uh, Dwight L. Moody said, prayer does not mean that I'm trying to bring God down to my thoughts and purposes and try to turn his sovereign hand according to my foolish, silly, and sometimes sinful notions. No, prayer means that I am to be raised up into union with him and to enter into his counsel and fully carry out his purposes. Prayer is not a means of coming to God and saying, well, Lord, you don't seem to be handling my situation the way I had thought you would. Let me just help you with that a little bit, kind of like you know Job's friends trying to help the situation along a little bit. No, prayer is not to bring God down. Prayer is to open us up so that God can bring us up into the heavenlies, into truth, into that relationship with him. John Piper says, prayer is the open admission that without Christ, we can do nothing. Why do we pray? <laughs> we need help. We need wisdom. We need healing. We need to be set free of things. I mean, I, we could just go on and on in terms of why we pray. But it's basically an admission that, that I need the Lord. Prayer does that. Prayer is the turning away from ourselves to God in the confidence that he will provide the help that we need. Why do we pray? Because we know God to be a loving God. We know that as we, as we have a, an awesome reverence and fear for him, that he wants to be compassionate. As we come humbly confessing our sin, our shortcomings, our lack of a prayer life, that, that God wants to infuse hope into us 2018 can be a new day. Whatever God, whatever you have allowed to hold you back or kept you from running the race with endurance, the things that you haven't shed off, God can do that in 2018. It can be the most exciting year you've ever had. 
if you surrender and put it in the Lord's hands and he sees that you're serious as you take the time to pray, Sorry, but I'm just under such great conviction as I'm talking about prayer. <laughs> I'll just be honest. Prayer is the turning away from God, from, our, from ourselves to God in the confidence he will provide the, need, the help we need. Prayer humbles us as needy and exalts God as rich and benevolent. One of the verses I love is 2 Corinthians 8, 9, where it says, for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. Do you catch the arrows? Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you, through his poverty, through the life that he lived and the sacrifice that he made, you might become rich. That's the grace of God, that a transcendent God would do that. Mark, come on up, and uh, I gotta get him up here because I can just tell he's, he's, he's having a hard time containing himself back there. He's gotta get up here and let it loose for Jesus. He's just going to pray for our awareness of God's greatness and majesty this morning. Thank you, brother. Well, the tears are moving, brother, so I'm under conviction, too. Thank you. <clears throat> Let's pray. Dear God, thank you for the times you show us our smallness and your greatness. Thank you for the gift of smallness. When we realize how small we are and how great you are, we quiet ourselves and begin to listen. You have told us to be still and know that you are God. It is, it is in our quietness that we begin to hear your voice. From your high, heavenly, holy place, you speak to your children, often in a whisper. That whisper is evidence of your transcendent power. When your warm breath moves our souls closer to you, we know you are our God. Thank you for knowing us and loving us before we were in our mother's wombs. Only a God who resides in heaven and knows all things can count every hair on our heads, every word we speak, and every breath that we breathe. Forgive me for ever doubting you. Thank you for showing us our sin and our total inability to overcome sin without you. Thank you for the gift of humility. When we are humble and quiet, we can hear your voice and receive your love and grace. Father God, you truly have the whole world in your hands, for your ways are higher than our ways, and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. Forgive us for our prideful ways, which doubt you and your promises. 
May this new year bring us great awareness of your greatness and our smallness. May we die daily to ourselves. May we be resurrected into living vessels who live and move and have their being in you alone. May we pray this prayer from 1 Samuel 3, 9. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Amen. Trying to steal my notes. I do. <laughs> They're good notes. I promise you. Oh, you got to watch these brothers. I'm telling you. I mean, I'd do something like that, but I didn't expect that Mark would. But uh, Joanne, you'll need to talk to him. So we, uh, we pray intimately. We pray transcendently. We also need to pray reverently. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. So the third thing that we should notice in this model prayer is that God's name is holy because God is holy. Holy just means he's completely different. He's separate. Uh, there's only one God. No one is like him. Uh, I love the passage in, in Luke chapter one where Mary is been told by the angel Gabriel that she's going to have the son of God and uh, she says, well, Lord, let, let it be done according to your word. Such uh, submission, such faith by a young teenage girl. And she goes to visit Elizabeth, who's a relative, and uh, she's six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And after Elizabeth greets her, then Mary begins to sing a song. And the song goes like this. My soul magnifies the Lord. And my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, for he's looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. Listen to verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. As you think back in 2017, I want you to be able to say that. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Can you recall them to your mind? Because God has done great things for you. And then it says, and holy is his name. So we pray reverently. We pray knowing that God is a holy God, that he's mighty, that he's powerful. And I want to go to one last scripture here in Revelation chapter 4. The apostle John has been exiled on the island of Patmos. And after he's given this message to seven churches in chapter four, God opens a door into heaven. He says, come on up here. I want to show you some things that are going to take place. And so we get this, this picture, this scene in heaven. And I'm going to begin reading at the second part of verse six. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living, living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, holy, 
holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. In other words, <laughs> from eternity past to eternity future, God has it all. He's holy, he's mighty. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, they fall down before him who is seated on the throne and they worship him who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns. By the way, you, you know the singing group, Casting Crowns? That's where this comes from, I, I guess. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. All creation is bowing down, falling down and worshiping the Lord. Now whether you physically do this or not in prayer, at least your spirit, your heart needs to fall down and to worship. That's how you pray. You don't pray thinking of a lot of different things and then offer a few words thinking that that's praying. No, that's not praying. Realizing why you have an intimate relationship with the Father, realizing how great God is, how holy God is, and, and bowing fully before him. And I, I love it when the scriptures give us that picture of somebody being prostrate. And you've probably seen you know, people on, on YouTube or videos just being prostrate, praying. And some of us might think, well, that's kind of strange. It's pretty biblical. <laughs> I guess we all might want to try that. Actually, for me, it's better because my knees aren't that good. So to get on my knees, is, to get on my belly, I can do that better. So anyway, don't, don't get all hyper if you see me up here on the floor at some point, all right? I'm just saying so here's a quote from John Piper on, on praying reverently. God has given us prayer as a wartime walkie-talkie so that we can call headquarters for everything we need as the kingdom of Christ advances in the world. Prayer gives us the significance of frontline forces and gives God the glory of a limitless provider. The one who gives the power gets the glory. That's a good line. The one who gives the power gets the glory. Thus, prayer safeguards the supremacy of God while linking us with endless grace for every need. When we try to usher in our own power, our own abilities to accomplish something, you short-circuit the walkie-talkie. And God says, let me know when you get to the end of yourself. I'm here so why not just humble ourselves from the very beginning each day and just to confess, God, I'm gonna make a mess of it this day if you don't lead me. I'm crying out to you. Please help me. Let me sense your closeness. Let me know your power. Manifest your glory, Lord, in front of me today that I can raise my hands up and praise you and, and on and on and on. So I'm gonna ask Dennis to come up now and he's gonna pray for us to have a clear understanding of the holiness of God and the awesomeness of our great king. And I'm gonna hang on to my notes so you don't get them. Lord, as we just come before you, God, you are beyond our comprehension, your power, 
your love, your strength. Um, Lord, for us, we need to humble ourselves. I need to humble myself right now to come before you um, and recognize that you know me You, you know me deeper than anyone, and you care for me. And I just pray that as our church, um, we recognize that we need to see you for who you are and not who we are, that you care for us more than we even know. Heavenly Father, um, as powerful as you are, as we read in Revelation, we recognize that uh, your justice and your righteousness and your holiness is not for condemnation, but to restore. And your reverence and your holiness and your righteousness is to restore our relationship with you. So when we bow before you, we recognize that you care for us you're not trying to condemn us. You want to have a relationship with us. So when we pray, we should be praying for what you want to have done in us, not what we need. You know our needs. You know what uh, is ahead of us better than we can see that going forward. Sometimes we get so caught up in our life right now that we don't see the big picture of eternity. And you've seen that from the beginning. You know that that everything falls in place because you've ordained it and you've um, put it in place and you've prepared a way and a plan for each one of us. Um, you know us because we've asked your son into our life and um, now we have a relationship with you so we can ask in a way that, that sometimes we don't even have the words. Sometimes we need, we need to listen, talk less and listen more. So as we go into this new year, we pray, Lord, that we would have your power and strength, that you would show us your will. And I just thank you in the name of my precious Lord Jesus, amen. Basically, as we ask the Lord to teach us to pray, consider this, that a transcendent, infinite God who's holy and above and outside of everything sent his son so that we could have that relationship with him, so that we could call him Father. That's pretty good news. Amen. Amen. Thank you.